Maybe you've heard of Slack, but what is it? Slack is your new HQ. One place for everyone at your company to find answers, share updates, and stay caught up. Slack, where work happens. Get started at slack.com. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Cray America. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to help you save some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate, teach, put it in context. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. The sell-off is at last reaching the emotional stage. That's my takeaway after a session where the Dow lost 221 points. S&P dropped 0.69%. NASDAQ climbed 0.79%. Yep, it's turning heated now. It's angry. It's visceral. And it's become one of those situations where people are really despairing. Now, that's bad news at this moment, but ultimately will be good news later. In fact, it's essential to see the negativity play out into lower stock prices. See, stocks don't bottom until enough people become so despondent that they forget money could be made in the market and only think that it can be lost. You need to get to a point where hope has been crushed and investors just want to escape from the house of pain. How do I know things have taken an emotional turn, an emotionally negative, visceral turn? Let me give you some examples. They always serve to do it well. Why don't we start with lanthanum, praseodium, and nerbium? Yeah, those are three, three rare earth minerals that are mostly found in China. We're, he- we're hearing that the Chinese might restrict these minerals because President Trump's playing hardball with Huawei. And this stuff is used in a host of applications, everything from autos to tractors to computers. Now, this is not the end of the world, even though it sounded like it. Eric Johnson at TheStreet.com points out in a terrific article that while China accounts for 70% of the production of these minerals, there's plenty of unused supply in Russia, eh, maybe not so great, but Brazil and Vietnam. The problem is that the U.S. and China are much more intertwined than the White House seems to think. And now everyone beginning to expect the worst, and it's become very gloomy. A month ago, nobody would have taken this idea very seriously, and it opens the floodgates. There are tons of Chinese companies our government could now target, and will. And the People's Republic could go back and boycott Apple and cancel Boeing orders and make it so you don't want to wear Nike for a while now. When you get into the worst-case scenario mode, it's easy to assume that the trade war will get a whole lot worse before it gets better. And you know that's been my view. If Trump and Xi want to keep going tit for tat, the damage could be enormous because there's so many different places that they can battle each other. Second sign that we've gotten too emotional, I want you to look at the stock of Johnson & Johnson. You know, this lost 4% of its value today, AAA balance sheet, because it's on trial in Oklahoma for its role in the opioid epidemic. The irony here is that the real bad actors already settled, which leaves J&J holding the bag in court, even though their fentanyl patch just, just isn't much of a factor here. From 1996 to 2017, the company had less than 1% of Oklahoma's Medicaid opioid prescriptions. Back in March, Purdue Pharma, the real bad guys to me, who created OxyContin and then convinced doctors it was not that addictive. They settled with Oklahoma for $270 million. 
Teva, a generic drug maker with a lot of painkilling sales, just agreed to pay $85 million to end their trial. Today, J&J lost about $15 billion of market capitalization. And when you consider the limited scale of their involvement here, I think this pullback has become ridiculously overblown. And that is why we bought some J&J today for the Chapel Trust, which you can follow on by joining the ActionAlertsPlus.com club. But caveat here, to the worn out and despondent, J&J has become yet another nightmare. But to me, the decline here is simply another buying opportunity, even as I accept there could be more downside from frightened investors. But we sold some higher. It seems like a good idea to buy it back. Sorry to be so rational. Third side of an overly emotional market, I'm calling it the workday problem. Last night, Workday, and Neil Bushry, you may have seen him on the show, reported I'm not going to be a mince It was a fantastic quarter. The best one we've seen from the Cloud Kings, and that's really saying something. They won some monster business. Cisco! Huge win. Geico. Hey, that's Buffett. Procter & Gamble. Siemens. Airbus. All orders for terrific human capital and financial management software that I thought should have gone to either SAP or Oracle. Yet Workday got slammed today. It's down more than nine bucks. Of course, this pullback was totally predictable. The stock had run up dramatically going into the quarter. It was cruising for a bruising, even with great numbers. But today's action sends a chilling message. Even if you shoot the lights out, do an amazing job, it won't matter. Your stock is going to be sold. Now, there's nothing wrong with Workday. I'm sure you look at the stock, you say, uh-uh, Kramer's wrong. I, look, I follow this company from its essence, from the beginning. I think the stock will have no problem bouncing back eventually. However, why would you want to own stocks if, 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 at all if a company can report an amazing quarter and its shares still get cr- gets crunched? If Workday had pulled back a few bucks, that'd be one thing. But down nine bucks makes you feel foolish for owning anything, doesn't it? Fourth, there's a horror show that is retail. We had some weaker quarters today from Canada Goose. Oh, my, did you see that? I talked to the CEO. You know, he's taking a long-term view, but if you own the stock, you're, you're, you're hurting. Uh, uh, Capri Holdings, that, that, that's, that's uh, Jimmy Choo, uh, Michael Kors, you know, uh, Versace. Oh, how about Abercrombie & Fitch? That thing, they're just annihilated. Hey, these are not unimportant companies. Okay, they're not Walmart, they're not Target, they're not Amazon. Uh, it doesn't matter. To these numbers, uh, everyone wants to jump to the conclusion that the consumer's just become in terrible shape. And that will only be reinforced by a must-watch interview. We have later tonight with PVH CEO Manny Chirico. He's going to tell us about the dramatic earnings forecast cut that he is giving us this very night for the maker of Tommy Elfger and Calvin Klein. And they are in so many brick-and-mortar stores. Which brings me to the fifth sign that the sell-off has gotten wildly emotional. When the economy is slowing, investors hide in the consumer staples. <laughs> Not today. Today, Goldman Sachs downgraded General Mills, the Best performer in the group other than PepsiCo. Downgraded to a sell. Hey, this is this this is this company had mojo. General Mills has transformed itself into more of a natural organic play, yet it plunged more than five percent today. The pain here creates the impression that there's no place to hide, except for, of course, beyond meat. What isn't that? Isn't beyond meat playing a gigantic trick on us? Right? It's just saying. Right in our faces that we're the, um, the only stock that can go higher. It's crazy. Six, worst of all, there's what I call the Twitter factor. And that's where I'm constantly dumped on for being a cheerleader for stocks. Even though I've been warning you for months that we get oversaturated with stock supply from the wave of new IPO unicorns. And that the prospect of a trade deal is very unlikely because the hardliners are running the show. But to listen to these critics 
You think I've spent the last few months screaming one thing and one thing only. On social media, people never let the facts get in the way of a good story, do they? So you see these same people screaming at the stock market is wildly overvalued. Uh, uh, why, oh, where the heck were these people uh, a few weeks ago when the averages were flying and I was telling you to sell something into the strike? You hear that the trade war is going to cause a recession. There's, that's only a real possibility because a recession can become a self-fulfilling prophecy. The actual damage from the tariffs should be pretty limited. But when everyone believes we're going into a slowdown, when everyone thinks the only stock that's going to go up is beyond meat, they stop spending. And a slowdown is exactly what we get. You hear that the averages are going to repeal the entire rally that we've seen uh, since Trump was, uh, won the election. The anti-Trump people, man, they're all, they, they send that every 30 seconds to me. I, I, I've had um, that one many times of late. And frankly, I don't see evidence that that's going to happen. At the end of the day, President Trump wants to get reelected, and he views the Dow Jones Industrial Average as equivalent to the Nielsen ratings. We have a Federal Reserve that's raised interest rates one time too many. We have companies that are doing a lot better than we expected coming into the year. So my take, just as we can talk ourselves into a recession, we can also talk ourselves into a bear market if we're not careful. However, I don't think we're there yet. To me, it looks like we're having a real rough patch for stocks. I see many stocks that I want to buy more of into weakness, but I respect the doom and gloom. I see it. I suspect the steamer trunk of gloom and doom on my back, which is why we built up a large cash position for my travel trust. Now, we're done selling, all right? At this point, the pullback's gotten wildly emotional. I don't sell into wild emotion. I don't sell into panic. Uh, only interested in buying, but small. Bottom line, now the people are real freaking out I, and getting nasty. I think it's time to start picking up stocks into weakness. That's not cheerleading. It's discipline. As investors get progressively more disgusted and disheartened, that's historically been the best time to buy. So if you've got some cash on the sidelines, I think you can possibly begin putting it to work. But slowly and surely and not with a degree of gusto because it's not warranted. Nick in Illinois. Nick. Booyah, Jim. Booyah, Nick. Nick. Chicago. First time, long time. All right. Uh, I'm holding XPO Logistics. I want to buy more. Has the dust settled in the low 50s, or is there more, uh, more downside I, I, than I, I just see, uh, I don't want you to buy more, frankly. Um, it's a transport. I mean, you look at the FedEx. Oh, my, UPS. I just think that, that XPO, as much as I like the last mile theory, too hard. Let's keep it easy. Let's not make it tough. We're having a real rough patch, people. I respect gloom. But I think that gloom is beginning to create some opportunities. And that's what happened, by the way, at 3 o'clock today on May of Money Tonight. Looking for a real reason for today's decline? I'm going to reveal it just then. And PVH just reported after the close. In the midst of a global trade conflict, all I can say is, holy cow. Let me talk to the CEO. And is there a logical explanation for the up and down action in once great growth stock Logitech? I've got the exclusive with the Logitech CEO. So stay with me. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Maybe you've heard of Slack, but what is it? Slack is your new HQ, one place for everyone at your company to find answers, share updates, and stay caught up. Slack, where work happens. Get started at slack.com. 
Where the bond market goes, the stock market follows. It's that simple. Even when the bond market might be wrong, it still controls. Right now, with the yield on the benchmark 10-year Treasury rapidly plunging to an incredibly low 2.26% rate, you got to wonder what the bond market's signaling. Right? Maybe long-term U.S. Treasury yields are plummeting because our government paper is the only game in town, or I could say in the world. If you're an investor from overseas, our treasuries are the best way to get a solid risk-free return. There just isn't much competition. It'd be irresponsible to buy European bonds. Their yields are so low. Same goes for Japanese bonds. On the other hand, if you want to go chase that yield, say with Latin American bonds, be my guest. You'll be exposed to immense currency risk. I think this is a good explanation, but a lot of experts are having trouble dealing with the fact that there's an enormous amount of demand coming from overseas. They question it. Guess what, though? There are plenty of rich people outside the United States, and they're desperate for somewhere safe to stash their cash. There's one reason the dollar's been so strong. It's the Europeans buying our treasuries. If you're a European who wants to buy U.S. treasuries, you first need to swap your euros for some greenbacks. Of course, that's been true for a while. So let's take the foreign money off the table. What are we left with as the explanation for this latest downdrift in treasury yield? Simple. This is what it looks like when there's a lack of demand for money. There just isn't much belief in the future. So businesses don't want to borrow, and that's driving the decline in interest rates. The consumer doesn't seem to want to borrow. Throw in the decline in oil prices to levels that was just may have reached some sort of tipping point with the economy shifting into slowdown mode, perhaps because of the tariffs, perhaps because the president's tax reform package eliminated the state and local deductions for federal taxes, which hit some states very hard. And maybe you can understand the whole reason why the stock market's going down here. Once you get the ball rolling on the slowdown theory, you'll find plenty of facts to buttress your bearish thesis. I've heard pretty much endlessly that the China tariffs are going to cost every family an average of at least 800 bucks. That seems pretty unlikely to me. Seems high. But then again, the latest tariff hike from 10 to 25% just kicked in. Still, if you look at the tariffs that have been put in place so far, they aren't driving inflation. In fact, they're doing the opposite. Where is the decline in steel prices since the president moved to protect them from Chinese dumping? Meanwhile, we know that 7,150 retail stores have been closed since the beginning of the year. That's wildly deflationary. There'll be downward pressure on the prices of everything those stores sell. So I have no idea where people are coming up with these tariff cost calculations. This is the new economy, the Amazon economy, where it's much harder to pass along higher prices to consumers. We saw relentless price wars among the retailers during what turned out to be a highly promotional spring, and that was out of nowhere, believe me. I think they'll end up having to eat much of the proportion of these tariffs, certainly more than experts are predicting. Now, I'm going to let our guest, Manny Tirico, CEO of PVH, tell us more later in the show about how his apparel maker, known for its Tommy Hilfiger and Calvin Klein brands, is seeing a pretty darn steep drop-off in U.S. brick-and-mortar sales. It's chilling! Still, the business community believes in free trade. Most executives are not thrilled about these tariffs. The trade war doesn't need to do that much damage. It just needs to give business people a reason to lose their confidence. That's all it takes to cause a slowdown. And the lower rates and inverted yield curves and ultimately the slowdown that accompanies them could be happening. The result. Right now, we're slowly but surely letting the bond market talk us into a recession. That means we're going to need the Federal Reserve to take action and roll back their last rate hike. However, I think Fed Chief Jay Powell will need to see more negative data before he's comfortable with the rate cut. He shouldn't have made the rate hike to begin with. He's not going to take the bond market's word for it. So until long-term interest rates start rising again, the stock market could be destined for more downside. Every downtick in the yield on the 10 years viewed as a sign of impending recession. I think we can throw off the yoke of the bond market eventually. But first, stocks need to get oversold. We need some better earnings reports, particularly from retailers and ultimately lower stock prices. 
and we simply aren't there yet. Bill in Virginia. Bill. Booyah, Jim. I'm an investor, and I'm a trade analyst by profession, and I wanted to call over concerns about multiple technical developments in the market, Uh, the most I've seen in 30 years of trading and investing. I wonder, the question is to you, and and then by extension to Carly, who I think is your technical Mm -hmm. expert, do you see these phenomena, and would you, in light of them, say, build more cash? Uh, In the S&P 500, a double top last in the last year, a near triple top in two years, an increasing number of companies whose share prices have fallen below their 200-day moving average, a really beautiful three-month head-and-shoulders pattern, Recently, a breakdown below 28.20 as a right, support level. Right. And last but not least, a weirdly sluggish VIX that seems to shout complacency, complacency. Well, I don't know much complacency. Remember, we've been, we're going to be down for six straight weeks. That's usually not very complacent. Uh, we do have some decline, some shortfalls in earnings that we haven't seen in a long time. Uh, I think there's a re- there's a coming recognition that things just got very bad in the U.S. economy within the last eight to ten weeks. And that's what I've been most concerned about. Remember, I felt the combination of equity supply from all these unicorn IPOs and a possible slowdown and a crushing consumer confidence by governments would cause what we're having now. We need the Fed to take back the last rate hike and start selling its bonds. But first, we need more data, or at least Hal does. Until then, look, I'm not, we could be destined for more downside. Much more mad money at my worries over tariffs need to rock this market. How is PVH going to be able to position itself? We got to talk to the CEO. Then how Logitech's move into VR could help push shares higher, but Chinese tariffs push them lower. Don't miss tonight's sit down with the CEO. And the U.S. is prepared to distribute about $30 billion in aid to farmers. So could it impact a stock like Agco? Or because it's not dear and therefore not considered American, are they doing great? I'm talking with the CEO and stay with Kramer. Coming up, is Kramer too sexy for his shirt? No. Good thing PBH joins him in studio, fresh off earnings, next. This CNBC podcast is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. Investing isn't one size fits all. Every investor has a unique style. That's why TD Ameritrade offers two different mobile apps. There's TD Ameritrade Mobile, which lets you manage your portfolio with streamlined simplicity. Or Thinkorswim Mobile, which gives you tools you need for more advanced trades and in-depth analysis. Visit tdameritrade.com apps to find the one that's right for you. Once again, that's tdameritrade.com apps. It's been a tough day for the stock of apparel maker PVH and an even tougher night. As the company reported a good quarter, but then gave some surprisingly downbeat guidance. A forecast cut that is Wall Street puzzling what's happening at this normally consistent company's businesses, including two tremendous brands, Calvin Klein and Tommy Hilfiger. The stock is down badly in after hours, but we know that Manny Chirico, the chairman and CEO of PVH, comes on in good times and in bad times to tell it to us straight. Manny, welcome back to Mad Money. You came here three months ago and the numbers were fabulous. This last quarter was pretty good. But you've come in with a pretty dramatically pessimistic outlook um, for China and for here that kind of, unfortunately, captures the zeitgeist of what I see in the stock market. What the heck's happened? Yeah, look, I I guess is, look, in this market in particular, for 
the business right in front of us the second quarter, we've really seen some softness in the business, particularly as the first quarter ended and the second quarter started. And uh, I think that's reflected in our numbers and our guidance as we've gone forward. The positive things from our perspective is we've more or less been able to hold our guidance in place for the year. And we're looking for the second half of the year to start to see a bit of a turnaround. We're up against much easier comparisons as we get into July and beyond the second half of the year. And I think we're positioned to capture that as we go forward. Well, when I think, look, I think weakness in China, weakness in the United States, I just keep thinking it is the headlines. It is the trade war. Uh, because it's not like prices have gone up dramatically and the consumers stopped in, in our tracks. Well, particularly in our areas, you know, this, the discussion around tariffs and the trade dispute, it hasn't hit us at no. this point yet. So uh, that's not the issue that we're seeing going forward. What we're really just seeing is a slowdown in growth and a slowdown in, in, uh, in retail sales uh, in general as, as we're looking at it. Big Im- impact here in the U.S. is lack of international tourism and tourism purchasing. Strong dollar it, has always has been and just- strong dollar continues, you know, to, you know, our currencies from when I was here three months ago are down three to six percent. Right. So we're really feeling it there as but well. Tommy Hilfiger down four. I mean, people are looking for much better than that. I mean, I think is a great brand. It's it, it has not led you astray for a very long time. That's true. That's true. Uh, down four here in North America. Yeah. Uh, overall, the Tommy brand grew on a constant currency basis about five percent, nine percent, excuse me, four uh, uh, percent on a reported basis. So the business internationally continues to do positively, but comps in the United States, look, I, I can't walk away from it. Comps here in the United States in the outlet channel of distribution where we have a big position right. is really under pressure. So, I mean, you're talking about a Macy's. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're talking about a JCPenney. Right. Um, these are companies that did not, look, my Chapel Trust owns Kohl's. They did not report good numbers. Look, and is this, is there inventory kicking around now? Is that what's going to happen? Is it going to go to TJX? Is, is it out there? Long so right season? now I would say inventories are in relatively good shape. Really? Concern would be as things start to back up. Um, we've really seen the retailers react to that, and we've reacted and, re- and, and really put it in our numbers. We, we took our sales down in the second half uh, in, in connection with a real concern about the business going forward, but have been able to hold our profits together so far as, as, as we've come here. So we're, we're looking for the business as we start the anniversary, some tougher, some tougher comps next year. Uh, the comps get somewhat easier as we get into the second half of the year, and that's what we're pointing to at this point. Right now, uh, as we've come out of the first quarter into the second quarter, the retail backdrop here in the States is, is pretty challenging. And that includes e-com, includes Amazon, well, look, team... team. Our, our, our growth continues very strong digitally. Our growth, you know, that business continues to grow 20% for us. Our own operated and our, uh, our partner sites that we, that we do, Macy's.com, Amazon.com, that business section up 20%. I think we're in re- the strength of our brands really plays well there. But we are at a moment, brick and mortar retail, with the trade disputes, the the rhetoric around trade tensions right. that really is created, it's really uh, impacting the consumer spending. Manny, you and I have been around for a long time. A 3.6% employment rate means that people are buying Calvin Klein and Tommy Hilfiger. That's what they buy. Mm-hmm. It's not making sense to me, Manny. Well, I think th- I think we're all struggling with that. When you look at the consumer and you look at wages and you look at just the general uh, environment, you would feel much stronger. I I think you have to put some things in perspective. This time last year, 
coming off of the tax cuts, the momentum that was there this time last year. Clearly, our first four or five months of last year, our comp sales were up 11%. Uh, and Tommy, up high single digits in Calvin. So you're seeing now a, a retrenchment off of that. There was tremendous momentum that came out of that first quarter. We knew we'd be up against that. We tried to put that into the numbers, and we delivered the earnings uh, and, and our sales estimates for the first quarter. But as we look at the second quarter, we felt we really had a pullback there and still have been able to hold it together, but it's in a much more challenging environment. Look, there's no, no. walking away from the fact that the consumer's feeling more pressure right Absolutely. now no. here and in China, and you can't walk away from the fact that the trade disputes and the issues are not creating a bit of a hangover with the consumer. All right, I want to leave it on that because you got Stefan Larson as mm-hmm. the president. He's a great hire. He's doing fantastic. He has been all his career to be amazing. He's going to be your right-hand man. Or does he want to take over? Do you want to give him the company? What's going to happen? Because that he's a talented fashion person. Well, look, I think our board, myself, uh, Succession planning is a key issue for all companies. You're not going anywhere. And for us in particular, I just signed a new five-year contract. I'm here for the next, as CEO, for the next three to four years. But I think we've put a plan in place where people can feel comfortable that we have a strategy in place, we have a management succession plan. You know, this is I'll be this will be my 15th year as president and CEO of PVH. And, you know, as you get older, people start to ask questions. How much longer are you going to do it? So I think this. No one's ever asked me it. that. Just well, kidding. I hope that the next time you and I see each other, that it's something the cloud lifts because you're doing such a great job. And Stefan's a great hire and the stuff looks fantastic. And it doesn't seem to matter right now. I think in fairness, you can't fight the tape. Yeah, I mean, I think <laughs> I think that. we're in a. It's um, the general sense is the consumer's under pressure. Retail's going to be under pressure for a while. I think we're best positioned to capture the growth and the market share that will come out of that, given our balance sheet strength and the way we've managed the business. If past this prologue, we got to just get through this. Fantastic. We got to get through it. That's a good motto for me to adopt with the stock market, too. <laughs> That's Manny Trico, chairman and CEO of PVH. Their money's back after the break. Their sleek hardware designs give gamers the chance to play hard. But the markets are as tough as a world-class esports showdown. Can this company's evolving tech make the stock a logical play for home gamers? In a brutal market like this one, it's always good to circle back to high-quality companies with powerful secular growth stories. But what do you do when well-run companies go out of style for a moment in the Wall Street fashion show? And that is the question we need to ask about Logitech International. The maker of computer peripherals like keyboards and mice, along with headphones, mobile speakers, remote controls, expensive high-end gaming equipment. The best, people say, for years this stock has been a fabulous long-term performer, but it got hit along with everything else in the fourth quarter. Then when it seemed like Logitech had gotten its mojo back, the cut reporter a month ago, I loved the quarter, but the stock got slammed. Even though they delivered a top and bottom line beat, investors took profits. Management left their forecast for 2020 fiscal year unchanged. And so I have to ask, has Logitech come down to the point where it's too cheap to ignore? Let's take a closer look with Bracken Dow. He's the president's CEO to learn more about how his business is doing and where it's headed. Mr. Dow, welcome back to Bad Money. Thank you very much, Jim. All right, Bracken, I'll tell you what I do. I like to look at quarters in a vacuum. I don't like to look at what the stock's doing. Because it influences my thinking and influences sure. too many investors. Yep. I read the quarter. Yep. I said, wow, he shut the lights out. This is really a dynamite quarter. quarter. And I'm beginning to think that there's some sort of funk developing here. I am not kidding, Bracken, because I, <laughs> no, I read it. I parsed it line by line. Yep. 
you're doing new things. You're in video conferencing. That's not just e-gaming, okay? No. You're doing this virtual reality. You're well ahead of everybody yeah. else. Are we just in some sort of because of the trade war or people feeling down about things? Uh, it, it, that's the only explanation I can come up with. Well, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, you know, we've had a we've had such a nice long strong run. Hey, you're up sixteen percent for the year. Yeah, we're doing fine, and and you know it's been a long run. But I'm a very long term person. Look, we have three major secular things that are driving our business. Gaming, you and I have talked about a lot. That's not going to slow down. It's nope. going it's going to keep going. It'll have its ups and downs, but it's going to be a long term secular growth trend. The second one is video everywhere. You know, every room that has a telephone today will have video at some point, and that's what we do for a living in that business. That grew forty four percent last. Oh, but quarter. no, that's Zoom. I pay, I'm paying a huge amount for Zoom, and I'm paying very little for Logitech. Oh. It, it, I, know, I don't need you to, to trash Zoom. It's a good company. I know good them company. from when they were at Cisco. Yep. But you're offering a very similar product. Not at all. What happens with if you get Zoom in the room or you get Teams from Microsoft in the room, you need the equipment to enable them. That's what we do. So we partner with Zoom or okay. partner with Microsoft. So we're actually complementary to them. It's, it's hard to understand. And then you're also, I mean, you look, you still make the best peripherals. I was thinking, well, maybe people have cut back on, on things that I know I, I regard as necessities because I love your stuff. <laughs> but maybe, you know, maybe this is now like people are saying, wait a second, I, I'm feeling down about something. I don't know what they're feeling down about. When you have 3.6% unemployment, I mean, this is what you buy. Absolutely. You know, and we're, and we're actually kind of sturdy, even if there were a recession or something. You know, if, you, if you're going to a recession, video saves you money. I always say, you know, if you go into the CFO and you say, hey, you can, you can cut your travel 40% and you pay off the video enablement of that room in one saved trip. So it's, we're, we're, I'd say all of our businesses are relatively recession-proof or recession-resistant, mm-hmm. and they've got massive secular trends behind them. Even our PC peripherals business, Jim, you know what's driving that now? Instagram, podcasting, YouTube, streaming. You know, kids are getting, or people are getting on there, and they're broadcasting. They're using a mice, a keyboard, a microphone. Right. So all three of them are driven by these big, long-term secular growth. Oh, but how about if I come back and say, well, wait a second. I bet you there's Chinese parts in here. He's got to relocate. He's got to go to Vietnam. He's got to go to Cambodia. He's got to change the supply chain, or else he's going to have to raise the price of everything on this table. Well, you'd be right if we go to list four, and even before list, even list, list three, list. we're already there. So we do, but you know what we... Those are the different kinds of tariffs. That's right, the different tariffs. So, so we, for, we, we essentially, for, uh, for, as a business model, we've moved things in and out of our own factory on a regular basis. Okay. Every quarter we move something. So moving them in and out of China, if we have to, and we are, is, is, to other is, is something we're good at. China, you know, a lot of people tell me they don't want to move because the Chinese are very good and very good manufacturers. Are you able to find quality manufacturing away from China? Yeah, a lot of the people that we're moving to are actually Chinese manufacturers moving into other countries, okay. moving into Malaysia, moving to the Philippines, moving to Vietnam. Do you have percentages right now, or does it just fluctuate? I couldn't give you a percentage, but, right. but essentially whatever categories of ours are hit, we immediately look at, should we move out? And then this, as a backup plan, if we, if, if, if as an additional plan, we, we, we'll raise price if we have to. You will, and you think if that we these, uh, are we talking about things, I mean, people are talking about $800 per, per, per family more because of tariffs. I don't think, I think that's too high. It sounds high to me. Right. Right? It sounds high to me. But, I mean, it would be, uh, instead of, uh, it would be like a little bit less than what a, a big sale. You know what I mean? I, 
Fair. You know, it depends on the category. You know, for okay. us, if, if, the, if we have to raise 25%, that'd be pretty tough. So right. we'll try to offset as much of that as we can with cost savings by moving things right. in and out. And then whatever the difference is, if we can raise price, we will. I guess people must think there's going to be margin pressure from what you just described. Yeah, yeah. Now, uh, I'm in the elevator today. I look up and it says, Logitech introducing new virtual reality pen. And to me, this thing sounds incredibly cool. I know it's not on the table yet, but this is the kind of cutting edge thing that you've got that nobody else has. It is so cool. This is not it. This goes with the iPad. But if picture something like this, a little bit thicker. And then you're, you, for the first time, you can have the precision. You can write on the table in, in 2D, or I can sit here with HTC Vive on, or, and I can draw myself into a building. I can draw the building. I can draw a window. I can draw a door, open the door, go back out, move the building over here. So it's a way to create. And whether you're an engineer, at Vector5, we worked with them on a new helicopter. They, they worked right. on a new helicopter using this uh, this pilot edition, uh, it's called. But this eight. is fantastic. I mean, I was involved in, I've been involved Super in many cool. situations within the last couple of years where I had to draw something that was 3D. Yeah. And there wasn't any ability, so I'm doing like the Charoscuro, like that little yeah. in 11th yeah, yeah, grade. Yeah. You know, and, and I look at it, it's like, well, hold it, wait a second, is this realistic? Yeah. But this is the answer for architects, for designers, for people who want to take something and go sell it on Etsy or on Shopify. Absolutely. Or for people in the who are deep designers in the car industry, they're they're going to start using these. So it's very early days. I don't want to overstate right. anybody's investing in us. This will be years before it really becomes significant. But we want to be part of the VR mixed reality world. We want to be the peripheral maker of choice and the one who helps shape those. So that's why we got into this. Look, I, you know, I mean, look, gaming's going strong. I know we always talk about gaming. I wanted to talk about the other exciting things you guys sure, do. Sure, we sure. don't give them enough credit. Yeah. The video conferencing, these kinds of things. Yeah. And just the high-end equipment that I guess may have to cost a little bit more because of tariffs, but I don't see anything on this table you can live without at this, these days. No, these are must-haves. Yeah. Absolutely. They are. For, they are for my kids. Maybe not so much for me. Right, that's Brackendow, the presidency of Logitech. Look, I mean, maybe it's caught up in these trade wars you just heard, but the quarter was fabulous. The year's been great. And the trajectory has been like this the whole way. Mad Money's back after the break. Thanks, sir. It is time! It's time for the light! We're going to go to the red We're going and then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, skiing? Down over the lightning round. Good morning. We'll start with John in New Jersey. John. Tim. John. Booyah. Booyah. Tim, my stock is Anadarko Petroleum. Well, you're done with Anadarko. We got that. We sold that one for the Chapel Trust. It is time to move on, my friend. I need to go to James in Virginia. James. Hello, Big Jim. This is James in Virginia. Normally, I live in Florida. Okay. I got a question for you. My friends and I, we tune in every night and we watch you. I'm Thank new you. to investing. I watched the interview you had in March with the CEO of CVS. Yeah, Larry Merlot. I bought some CVS. I know it's sitting there at like 53 or 54. Right. Uh, I'm thinking it's going to go once. No, once we got a big analyst meeting coming up, and he's got to explain how he's going to be able to cut down that debt, uh, pay down debt, and if he does that, then people are going to buy it. But I do not have conviction ahead of that analyst meeting. we got to see what he says, because that would eliminate the doghouse if he does. But right now, people are very worried. And I, we have a big position for Chapel Trust. Can I go to Jim in Florida, please, Jim? Uh, yes, Jim. My question is Lowe's. I've oh, man, you know, the, uh, like I thought that Marvin Ellison, I thought he explained himself very well. A lot of different things he needs to win. A lot of new people. He's working really hard to be able to get the place in shape. 
and no one has a conviction to stay with them except for me. I think if you buy that stock at 90, you're going to make a good buy. And Marvin, please come on the show because you know how to tell the story. Gordon in Texas. Gordon. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. Hey, Assembly Bay Therapeutics, what do you think about that? Hello? Don't know it. Don't know that, bad boy. Going to have to do some work. Oh, doctors. Oh, my doc. CEO doctor. I always like that. Hey, let's go to Sam in Colorado. Sam. Hey, Jim, about USA Technologies. The stock was at $15 last year and was down to 5 due to internal accounting investigation. And this month, the hedgeman bought over 4 million shares. So, sell, hold, or buy. Well, I like payments processing. I know that one did have some problems, but payment processing is a rising tide that's leave. Why don't we get that company on? We've had all, we're like, we had, we had global payments. We've had them all on. We need to know more about why that stock got hammered. Let's go to Joseph in New York. Joseph. Hi, Jim. Awesome show. Thank you. I, uh, this stock has um, been considered a speculative buyout by Celgene and uh, has a promising pipeline and has traded between $87 and $232 a share. In December, it dipped below $90 a share. All right. What's your take on Bluebird Bio? I think it's a great spec. I really do. I think it's got a marvelous technology, and it would not shock me if somebody did buy them. Uh, let's remember that uh, this time Celgene's merging with Bristol. By the way, I like that merger very much. And Dr. Cafario is going to pull it off. I know people are very skeptical. I think Bristol's the one to buy. Okay, let's go to Dave in Illinois. Hey, Dave, how you been? Dr. Kramer, well, apart from protracted tariff uncertainty, global economic slowdown, and impending U.S. two-year tenure yield curve inversion, I'm doing just fine. How about you? Well, you, I think well, you probably left out the PBH forecast, Dave, but you just stick and watch the show, and you're going to get that, too, to really add to the woes. What's going on? You got it, my friend. Jim, my stock for today is in the medical device space. Gary Gutter, Da Vinci, and I like Intuitive Surgical, ISRG. I know, man. I'm a Da Vinci fan. I, I, I've seen it in action. I think it's doing really well. This stock has come under severe selling pressure. Dave, I bet if you buy this and put it away for you, you're, you're going to have a good one. I am shocked at the decline, and every time I look at it, I don't see a good reason for it. I think it's the zeitgeist of the moment. Hey, speaking of zeitgeist, right? Hey, let's go to Gordon in Florida. Gordon. How you doing? I don't know, Gordon. Today was a really hard day. A lot of good stocks went down. Kind of bugged me. What's up? Just wanted to check on um, MU, see what you thought about it. Which one? Micron. Oh, my. You know what? Look. This, here's a stock that gives up a few points every single day. This is where it bottomed last time. I think Micron is three down and ten up, but the three happens first. I need to go. Can I go to Sean in New Jersey? Sean? Booyah, Jim. Booyah. So with John Schnatter's recent sell-off last week, starboard stake, and recent board changes, what do we think of Papa John's? I love what Starboard's doing. I think they're doing a remarkable job. I think the turn is real with Papa John's. And by the way, I met Shaq uh, when he was on the floor. He's involved with Papa John's. Hey, that's a good partner to have. And that, ladies and gentlemen, inclusion of the 
Lightning Round! The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Traders are wary of the trade war raging, but the heartland still must feed the country. Will global disorder stifle investor appetite for agco? Or are their tractors sexy enough to make this stock a top seed? You know what's funny? People are very worried about a trade war-induced recession, which is why the averages sold off hard today. But you know what managed to buck the trend and actually rally? The farm equipment stocks. Yep, even though China's aggressively targeting American agriculture with tariffs of their own, and we've had some horrible weather across vast swaths of the country, some of the ag stocks are giving you big gains. Look at Agco, one of the major farm equipment makers, with a stock that's up nearly more than 20% year-to-date. I think that's in part because the U.S. government is more than willing to bail out farmers who get hurt in the trade war. But it's also because, and I think far more important, Agco has a ton of international exposure, which is one reason why the company was able to report a blowout quarter earlier this month. So can the stock keep climbing? Let's take a closer look with Martin Rieschenhagen. He's the chairman, president, and CEO of Agco. Get a better sense of what's happening in the agricultural space and how this company's doing. Mr. Rieschenhagen, welcome back to Mad Mom. Money. Thank you very much. Life is good. Well, I like that, Martin, because I've got to tell you, I was trying to figure out how you did a blowout quarter. North America down 0.6%. South America down 2.6%. Asia Pacific down 9.6%. Europe's up, and yet you put it all together and you had a fantastic quarter. How are you able to make so much money with those sales? Well, we focused on uh, improvement initiatives already starting last year. Because we wanted to be more independent from everything which is going on in a more volatile political environment. And I think we are doing fine. So our focus this year is on margin improvements. And the same will be for next year. So we want to be at around 8% this year and 10% next year. And I think this is a great story for our shareholders. Okay, well, this is very different. You know Deer, obviously, and uh, Deer has come I never to me heard as, that name. Yeah, so I figure you're familiar you with them. Me. But they've become, they've become very episodic. I mean, frankly, I, you never know whether they're going to hit it out of the park or not. I think through innovation and through a consistent margin improvement, you've changed things. I regard you now as a good growing machinery company, not an ag company that's related to weather or farm subsidies. Is that a better way to look at ag co? Yeah, that sounds pretty good. And then we are also, let's say, I also have to say, John Deere is a very fine company, Aye. so I don't want to be negative on them. Uh, so, but... Um, um, we focused very much on, 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 let's say, our business processes, um, and we are also very, very global. So that helps, of course. So when you spread basically your business all over the world, you don't depend so much on one single, uh, single market. One of the things that surprised me, if you asked me three countries that I would not expect to be doing well right now, France, United Kingdom because of Brexit, and Spain, which is supposed to be just still mired in a very big slowdown, those were hugely uh, good countries for you. How do you explain that? Well, it's technology. We have basically the finest uh, products in the industry. Uh, and we basically, we, we always had the idea to differentiate and what is very important for us is uh, to create a value for our customers. So when you buy a Fend or Valtra or Massey Ferguson tractor or combine, we make sure that you have the lowest uh, uh, cost of operating that product during the whole life cycle of the, of the product. And so 
our customers understand that and they as soon as they own a product from us they see that this adds value or profits to their bottom line okay so give me a little sense of what's going on with world trade here in the united states versus china because China has been uh, really placing orders away. I know from some of the seed companies, they've been going to Brazil. But the expectation is they'll come right back. I'm wondering whether things aren't a little bit more uh, sticky once you leave the food chain from the United States and go to Brazil. I don't think you just turn on the jets and go back to the United States that easily, do you? No, the Chinese, of course, are people who like long-term relationships. Normally, they are pretty loyal when you have a contract. You can do business with the same guys for a long period of time. So that will be a little bit more work to to gain them back. But the quality of our products, beans and corn, chicken, beef, uh, pig, is excellent. So therefore, I think uh, we have a certain advantage here. uh, And the American farmers are doing a great job. So what we say at Echo, no farmers, no nation. I really mean it. So I think uh, people in Washington also understand how important the farmers are for the country. And therefore, I'm optimistic that finally a deal is done. You are optimistic. Why? I mean, everyone's turned so pessimistic here. I mean, that's why our market's been down for six straight weeks. People have given up. You need to you need to think a little anti-cyclical. If everybody's only pessimistic and blames uh, uh, other people for for problems in their own company, I think that doesn't work. You need to accept the, uh, the the world, so to say. You can try to influence, but you know that you can't do that as a company. And then you need to look into your company and try to run it properly and make it more efficient every day. Well, thank you. I'm getting tired of hearing the companies are at the whims of politicians in, in different countries uh, and the capitals of those countries. It's nice to hear that companies can actually help themselves, which is why you really did have a great quarter, Martin. Thank you so much for coming on May of Money. Well, finally, politicians are not different from CEOs, so there's some good and some not so good. I like that. So, <laughs> I like that good. thought. Let's keep Thank that. you very much. Oh, of course. That's Martin Rieschenhagen, Chairman, President, and CEO of Agco. Hey, listen, just because Deere didn't do that well doesn't mean Agco had to do poorly. It's doing better than Deere. Stick with Kramer. Chilling story from Manny Chirico tonight at PBH. Worries. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Kramer, and I will see you tomorrow. CNBC's Workforce Executive Council is a premier group of C-suite human resources executives from leading companies across the country. It offers a members-only portal and chat, plus exclusive industry content, with access to breaking news calls and digital networking experiences. The network and resources HR leaders need now. Apply to the Workforce Executive Council at cnbccouncils.com slash WEC.